Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton's Public Works Department is looking for a budget increase again this year, much to the consternation of a lot of people on City Council. We'll explain why. Uh, we keep hearing stories of road rage on Hamilton Roads and the increase of weapons and violence being used during some of those confrontations. Traffic specialist Klaus Wagner is going to join us and uh, give us some pretty scary stories. And six months after the Hamilton and Oshawa Port Authorities merged, we find out that it's been a pretty good deal. Details to follow. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, Hamilton City Council is uh, dealing with the uh, the budget for 2020. And uh, it's uh, it's a difficult exercise, obviously. We already told you that the costs are going up and up and up. Uh, and uh, we've been told that there's going to be a tax increase this year. Not a whole lot council seems to be able to do about that. But they've tried to hold the line on a number of different departments Yesterday, they dealt with public works, and um, notwithstanding the fact that uh, most de- departments were told to come in at about 2% increase, uh, it was uh, 5.4% for public works, which is a problem. But when you start talking about possible cuts to try to get down to 2%, that's a bigger problem. Chad Collins is the uh, counselor for Ward 5, uh, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to try to put some perspective on this. Chad, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us again today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bill. You're uh, getting into the heavy weeds here when you're doing budgets this year. The police budget and, I guess, public works are probably the two big ones, uh, almost on an annual basis for you guys. Yeah, historically, um, police over the five years, I think, as was noted a a couple of meetings ago, police's average uh, over the last five years is about 3%, so it's a a little bit above the corporate average. Public works, historically, has been um, well above as well in Traditionally, some of the numbers we've seen are in the four and five percent ranges, as you just noted with your opening in the show. So, they're, they're numbers that um, you know we, we've been accustomed to dealing with, and it means taking resources either out of other areas of the organization, or as you just suggested, making changes through the budget process to bring those numbers down. And and that's where we're at today. And, and we started this process, and I think you covered it extensively, Bill. We started at five point five in the fall in terms of what the outlook was for 2020. And we've, through the budget process over the last uh, two or three months, we've managed to find some efficiencies and savings. And some numbers start to come in in terms of contractual numbers. So you you start to get a better understanding in terms of what the fee structure will be for 2020. And we're now down from the 5.5 that we started at to 3.5. But as you say, we're now into the weeds because as we get closer to March, when we anticipate passing the budget, there's not a lot of time and discussion um, as it relates to bringing that number down. And, and so these budgets become all that more important as time passes. Well, especially this department, Chad, because uh, when you're talking about public works, you're essentially uh, talking about the department that delivers a lot of what many people would consider to be essential services. I mean, this is transit. This is a, yep. a water and wastewater. Uh, this is infrastructure, fixing roads, sidewalks, and everything like that. It's you got to anticipate it's going to be a big bill. Yeah, and I think, as you just mentioned, it's probably the it's the, the area of the organization that citizens can identify with most. So whether it's waste collection, recycling, um, parks and cemeteries, transit, fleet, forestry and horticulture, our roads program, those are, you know, the trucks that many people see around uh, the community, uh, by and large, are all part of public works. And they're the services, I would say, that, um, you know, when there's a problem, they're the ones that we hear from uh, from our constituents the most. And so when there's an issue with snow uh, clearing or whether the grass has, hasn't been cut on time or whether someone's garbage or recycling has been missed, 
people pick up the phone or email and, and let us know. And, and so as it relates to trying to find savings, sometimes it can be difficult because we're not just looking for efficiencies, we're also looking at service levels. And that you know might mean in some areas that we're making reductions. Historically, those aren't areas, as you know, that we've gravitated to. Our, our snow budget has, in fact, it was increased many years ago. Um, grass cutting has been relatively static over the years. There haven't been any changes there. So many of those issues that people, you know, refer to and we refer to as quality of life issues have been, remained untouched. And, uh, and it means, again, that we're looking at other areas of the organization for savings and or efficiencies. And, uh, and that's where we're at today. And again, to, to try to reduce some of these costs, uh, there's going to be a direct impact on people. And uh, you mentioned snow clearing. I know that every year council uh, deals with this, and staff will mm-hmm. come back and say, "Well, you know what? We you can wait. You know, we can hold off on the plows and let more snow accumulate first. That might save us a few bucks." But every time something like that comes up, the community pushes back and says, "No, no, 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 no. We we want what we've got." And, and sadly, this is the price. You just had a debate a couple of days ago about a possible you know snow clearing on sidewalks in some right. areas. Yeah. Uh, this is only going to add to this. I mean, it's a gr- wonderful idea. I advocate for it. Of course, in Ancaster, they, they, they've had it for years, but they pay mm-hmm. for it in Ancaster. But on they a do. citywide basis, when you're looking at a 5.4% increase already in this department, uh, I can understand council's reticence to try to move on and say, let's increase some costs here. That's right, Bill. And, and we also benchmark our services versus other municipalities across the province. And so we we know, and we've known for quite some time, that as it relates to winter maintenance, we're we have probably one of the highest service standards in the province. And, and so, as you just mentioned, when we look at service enhancements, we look at even you know improving upon those services that we currently provide, it becomes somewhat of a challenge when we know that we're already you know, at the top or within the top three in the province. So the challenge is looking either within public works for savings or other areas of the organization. And, you know, contextually, public works is a bit higher than most of the other departments. So you'll hear, or you have heard in the last couple of days, and as we go through more departmental budgets this week, um, you know, other areas of the organization are in the 1% and 2% range. And so they've managed to come in at the levels that Council has, has asked. And so 1.1 for planning, 2.7 for community services. Mike Zagarek will present his own budget today. He's at 1.4, and the city manager is just over 2%. So it's incumbent on council as we go through this process to continue to try to find savings. We've already found a number of savings in the organization that's brought us from the, the just over 5% to the 3.5. And that's within the context of knowing that we've, we're have we facing additional uh, provincial costs. And so w- you've covered the provincial downloading. That's about a half a percent on, on the tax bill of that 3.5. And to be clear and fair to public works, one of the biggest budget drivers they have is transit. And council has implemented a 10-year transit strategy in, in order to increase transit services in the community to try to create a better multimodal split, to try to increase, um, you know, uh, people getting onto our conventional transit system. And a big budget driver as part of transit, which hovers around 9.6%, which is off the charts as it relates to cost increases, a big part of that budget driver bill is DART's. And we've seen a record number of seniors using our DARTS system over the last uh, three to five years. When you look at the chart in terms of ridership, it's just it's uh, on a trend that is probably unequal across the province. And so as we have an aging community here in Hamilton and more people turn to DARTS, we're required to provide that service. And it's uh, I think the budget driver this year is just over two million for DARTS. 
So when you add in the when you add together the transit improvements as part of our 10-year transit strategy to put more buses on the road, and you combine that with the additional darts rides, um, it, you can see why Public Works is now coming in at 5.4%. And, and those are two options in front of us, one of which I think there's little flexibility. There's no discretion really in darts in terms of trying to change that number in 2020. Uh, transit strategy, that'll be open for council to consider is, you know, do we continue with the 10-year plan? I've heard some comments around the table in terms of possibly pausing it and or slowing that down, or do we push forward and then find those efficiencies in other areas? So they're not they're not easy decisions, but they're decisions that are going to have to be made within the next two months. Yeah, but past councils have, have had that decision to make as well, Chad, and you've been on some of those councils where they've said, mm-hmm. okay, let's, let's hit the pause button here. You end up paying for it down the road. Mm-hmm. At some point, because ridership goes down, people get upset, and, and council's going to have to double their efforts somewhere down the road, and there's going to be a cost of that as well. well so we you're kind of damned too. if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, and we don't know, Bill. As as you know, it's, it's cost-shared with um, the federal government, and so our, our contribution um, is important, because when we pause ours, we're pausing the contribution from the other levels, and we don't know that, you know, at any point in time, we can see a change in government and, and those transit priorities at that level can change. And so, too, can the flow of resources to municipalities. So it's one of the few areas where we're seeing a lot of service enhancements here in the city. I would say that, you know, most of the en- enhancement eggs, if you want to call them that, have been placed in the baskets of transit and housing. Those have been the two beneficiaries. And, of course, those two issues have dominated three election campaigns for the province, the municipality, and the federal government, their priorities, it seems, for all major urban centers across the, the, the nation. And so we're, we're not alone in terms of identifying those as priorities. We see record number of people on our wait list. We're also seeing, you know, an increasing demand for more transit services. So that's the dilemma we're in. We're, we, you know, we, we want to make enhancements in certain areas. And when you start tipping the scales to the numbers that I just referenced in terms of the 9% for transit, it means you have to make... Tra- you know, some tough decisions in other areas of the organization in order to make up for that, because I've heard quite clearly from my own residents that 3.5% isn't good enough. And they're hoping that we're going to get down into that 2% range. And that's really where we've averaged over the last decade. We're trying to make our our tax uh, situation more competitive as it relates to investment, but we're also cognizant of the fact that it's an affordability issue for people. And so that number has to change. And, and, Looming in the background there, Bill, is the assessment shifts that we'll see. And so this is the last year of the reassessment shifts where certain areas of the city will see a a number on top of our tax increase. So wards one to three, I can recall, we'll see 2% on top of that. And that's just from the MPAC and the, and the tax shifts that have occurred over the last four years. And other areas of the city, including my own, will see a slight reduction. And so I know that, you know, there's some concern for those areas where you know, if, if three and a half isn't uh, affordable for some people, how does five and a half look when you start to factor in the assessment numbers? Chad, i got to ask you, i, I got a couple of emails as you and I are having this discussion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the gist of it here, I'm going to try to conflate these two. Uh, this past year was not a very good year for public works from a public relations standpoint, among other mm-hmm. things, obviously. Uh, the sewer, what some people are calling sewer gate, the leak that went on for quite some time, uh, mm-hmm. the road surface, of course, on the Red Hill. Uh, and and there were obviously costs associated with that. How much of an impact did that have on on your costing and, and the budget going forward? Uh, well, we're still we're still under investigation from the ministry, and so we'll wait to see. We really are going to be charged. We know that, and that was part of the whole issue in terms of hiring a legal team. 
so that will come, most likely come out of a reserve when that fee flows through to the municipality. The Red Hill situation, the inquiry is underway right now. We'll wait to see what the results are there and, and what flows through that, and that remains to be seen through 2020. So from a budget perspective, um, you know, the Red Hill has been repaved. The link is on the horizon over the next five years. That's within the 10-year capital budget, if, I, if memory serves me right. And those are just issues that we'll deal with in future budget years, I would anticipate. I don't think they will have an impact on the budget in 2020. The other question here has to do with that billion dollars that the provincial government uh, is investigating now and probably coming back with some recommendations. I know you're not happy with the process, uh, but they were asking uh, the email here, the gist of it is, is that going to have an impact on on the budget and on taxes? But that money is essentially whatever they're going to spend it on, whether it's LRT or something else. Those are capital costs, and that's it's really the operating budget that drives tax increases or tax decreases, I guess. It will have an increase depending on what service we're looking at. So we know that, as a, for instance, LRT would have an operating impact. I, I believe it was between 1% and 2% on the levy, but those costs weren't anticipated until the project was completed, and that was to be 2024, 20, 2025. If the recommendation is to gravitate towards BRT on the BLAST network, that will mean additional increases probably through 2021 through you know 2025 and beyond and and those costs would remain to be seen but i would anticipate bill they're in that six seven eight percent range that we're looking at right now for the 10-year transit strategy so those are good questions but i would anticipate there are no impacts in 2020. And no definitive answers until you hear back, well, first of all, from this panel, and, and on top of that, I guess, once they make their recommendations, the ministry's going to have to make some evaluations, too. You're really you're sitting in the waiting room now, waiting for information here, aren't you? We are, and, and we're also waiting to see whether there are provincial downloading impacts as part of the, the provincial budget this spring. As you know, we, we received a number of surprises last year, and, and that hit us to the tune of, I think it was $4.6 million dollars which is a half a percent on this year's tax bill. And um, we're hoping that Premier Ford and his government will not uh, implement the same kind of changes in 2020, but time will tell. Chad Collins, the uh, Council for Ward 5, is uh, City Council wrestles with a very, very difficult 2020 budget. Uh, Chad, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is an ongoing problem, and I think a growing problem, and it's not unique to Hamilton, but uh, we we certainly see it on a daily basis. Uh, No matter where you're driving around this community, that's road rage. Uh, Statistics are are rather sketchy at this stage, but uh, there does seem to be an upward trend in this, and uh, it's dangerous, quite frankly. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Klaus Wagner, of course, with uh, Hamilton Police Services, as uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML. Klaus, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Like always, Bill, thanks for having me. This is my perception, and I know you do, you guys do track this to a certain extent. Uh, and uh, the numbers that you got from last year, from 2019, there were 221 reports to this hotline uh, that deals with road rage. But those are only the people that took the time to report. I'm, I'm going to imagine that number is much more significantly higher than that. Oh, yes. I mean, those are the ones that we would, those are the ones that I actually sent letters to the registered owners. We had probably another, probably 70 to 100 people where the license plate is incorrect or they didn't get a license plate. They were just complaining about a particular area. Or sometimes when it's so outrageous um, or it's a company vehicle where there's a a name of a company on it, um, I call them directly to speak to them because, you know, as I always say, you know, you can't scold your child for stealing a, ch- uh, a chocolate chip cookie three weeks later. They don't remember. You know, so I want to I take them care of right away. Why is it happening and why is it increasing? 
Um, straightforward. I think people are just more impatient nowadays. I think the way cars are designed, Bill, when you and I sir, started driving, uh, would you agree with me that we felt every single little bump on the road when our when our 67 whatever drove over something? 63 uh, Chef with me. Okay, there you go. And me, my first car was a Pinto. So oh, uh, my friends always... And you're here to talk always, about it. That's something else. <laughs> but, uh, you know what I mean? So cars nowadays, I feel as a driving instructor, people don't feel the speed. You know what I mean? by that they don't really feel how fast they're going until they're you know and they don't realize you know they don't look at it as they're zipping by cars and they don't look down to speedometer but then they go and then it's just a lot of uh you know younger drivers the biggest complaints i have with them is because as we all know it's you know that that speed thing and they're in and out of lanes and they're going from one lane to the other and because people have dash cams now and stuff like that and people are just you know because it puts everybody at danger and uh, you know the price of insurance and all the things that go along with if something was to happen because another driver cut you off or did something outrageous i think that's why people have had enough and because we offer that that hotline and the and now we've even made it easier where it's an email address if they want to send us an email that they are willing to make reports and, and that's gone on since the beginning of time i, I you know since the, i guess henry ford put the first car on the road and, and i get that but you're right it's a different kind of machine now uh, we, and I'm, I'm guilty of that from time to time too, where I have to look down at the speedometer and say, whoa, geez, I'm, I'm, I didn't know I was going that fast. And luckily it hasn't cost me a, a, or anybody else at this stage. But at what point though, and I guess we're kind of getting into the psychology of it. At what point did we as a society decide that, okay, it's up to us then to, to mete out justice to that clown that just cut me off? I think now, I think when I go out to companies and talk, um, one of the biggest things I always say, again, using the, it's not the 60s, the 70s, or the 80s, I said, you know, your company truck cuts somebody off before that truck is even off the highway on that next interchange. They've already Googled the name of the company, they've got a phone number, and they're already speaking to somebody to make a complaint because we have that technology at our hand. Plus, again, you know, um, you know, I think just people, you know, being brought up nowadays, you know, you know, not to, not to, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, not take crap from other people or stuff. So when they see driving behavior like that, they think it's just not right. So I'm going to make a complaint to the police. Uh, you know, and then now with the new technology with cars, you know, I think a lot of the high end cars now, you don't even need a dash cam. They, they take pictures of things. So, you know, there's that technology in there too, where, um, they can, you know, they can help us. Now, unfortunately, the courts haven't, and, and, and we haven't, you know, caught up to that where, you know, or the highway traffic acts is what I should say more. You know, even though you give me dash cam video, I can't charge anybody because, you know, I have to be as a police officer to be able to identify who the driver was to give them a ticket. You know what I mean? There, there are some mm-hmm. things like passing a school bus where we can charge the owner. Um, but, uh, you know, the average, you know, for, you know, improper lane change or for speeding, I have to be able to identify who the driver was. Uh, you know what I mean? That thing. So, but that's going to come, you know, as you know, Bill, it, it, you know, just you and I spent the last 10 years together doing these kind of things. The technology is continuously, you know, moving very quickly. So who knows in two years, you know, maybe that, that dash cam video will be enough and the courts will accept that and you'll get a ticket and that'll be the end of it. And and that's one, that's a process. And, and I guess uh, obviously from the numbers you've sh- uh, shown us, uh, that happens more often than not. But the, I, one of the worst case scenarios, and I know you've had to deal with these and some of your fellow officers have had to deal with these, is was they take it upon themselves to to you know I'm going to confront this this individual, and, and all of a yeah. sudden it's gone from a, a probably lousy driving a road rage incident manifests itself and I mean there's been gunplay there've been weapons that have been brought out here I mean it's getting pretty ugly. 
Yeah, and that's and that's a new thing where you know um, you know, and I don't want to say the other person's being aggressive too, but sometimes we just can't, like I say, take that deep breath. I mean, it happens to you. It happens to me all the time. You know, when I'm in my personal car, I mean, it's, like I said, especially with my knowledge of the way people are supposed to drive, you know, I see them. You know, they tailgate me or they've cut me off and and things like that. You know, and I, you know, you know, as my kids always say, you can't call everybody an idiot, Dad. But you know, I take a deep breath. I don't confront people and and, and stuff like that but some people are and then it it is getting to that's what happens and because the other person is already you know a very aggressive person the way they're driving they don't want to be told that they're driving that way and now they're going to be you know sometimes it's not just flipping the bird you know we've had like uh you know uh just recently like i said we had a, a you know somebody um confront the person, had their window down, and the other person rolled down their window and threw a banana peel at them. Now, that's very minor, but it still hit the person. Like, all those, you know, sometimes you have to take deep breath. If, you know, safely, if you can grab a license plate number, you can use the challenge you know, the channels that, that we've put in place here at the Hamilton Police. But confronting people, you never know who you're dealing with. And like, I, and like I've said before, and as we've talked, um, a lot of these people that are that aggressive driver, when I when I run their license plates and their driver's histories, these are not great drivers sometimes. They have, you know, horrendous driving records you know speeding tickets and 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 tickets for failing to produce insurance or driver's license and that to me as a police officer says to me more than likely they got stopped for speeding and the officer was cutting them a break by giving them this ticket instead of something with points you know i mean so these are bad drivers as i call them you know right away and now you confronting them you're just you're going to put yourself in, in a dangerous situation You've been doing this for a long time, especially when it comes to traffic safety. I know you go to the police uh, college in, in Elmer and you, you talk to upcoming uh, officers about this and, and the mindset and trying to get inside the heads of some of these people that, that as you say, are serial offenders in many cases. Uh, th- there's almost a mindset that, that they own the road. In other words, you know, you, you have the audacity to go slowly in front of me or you have the audacity to be in the lane that I want to be in, and they get angry. I, their immediate reaction is anger. In other words, I want to go fast. Uh, and I want to dart in and out of traffic, and, and you're in the way. So, you know, they they do all sorts of things to actually put themselves and you in a rather precarious position. You know, they tailgate, uh, they're honking their horn. They're, they're, uh, I, you've seen this, and I certainly have experienced this too, where somebody will pull out to pass me and, and then, as you say, cut me off. They just they want to teach me a lesson because I wasn't going as fast as they wanted me to go. Exactly. Bill, 100%. Um, when I was teaching my own son to drive, we were coming down a road, a uh, two-lane road, and we were driving, you know, the speed limit because, you know, he's learning to drive. And I could see in the rearview mirror there was a couple of cars right behind him. And I said to my son as we turned onto a, a two-lane, uh, two-lane directional road, I said, uh, Christian, when you turn here, make sure you turn into the into the curb lane because the car behind you is going to fly out to the left. He's going to look at you because he feels that you were driving the speed limit and how dare you drive the speed limit because he had a rush. And sure enough, that happened. And as, as you say, Bill, they think for some reason if they're right on your back end giving you the finger or screaming at the, out the front window that it's going to make a difference. And most people always tell me, and as you know, where do you want me to go, sir? The car, there's a car right in front of me. You know what I mean? And then, and then my my famous line that uh, our both our friend Tom Chalmers always like likes to hear me mm. say: all lanes are 100 kilometers or lane. You know, there's not a fast lane and slow lane. You know, there's the driving lane and then there's passing lanes. The problem in Southern Ontario, we don't really can't really do that because it's bumper to bumper. And for some reason, people think if they're right on your back end, uh, they want you to go where there's no space. Do you know what I mean? And that's where we have problems. Well, and, and sadly, when these people get overly frustrated and with situations like that, uh, they start doing crazy stuff. And they can, you know, well, that's, we've seen accidents happen. Well, they're not accidents, they're collisions, because somebody makes a conscious decision. Just a couple of weeks ago, driving up north, and it's a two-lane road. 
uh, heading up there, and there's about seven cars in a row, uh, all of them doing 80, which is the limit, maybe an 85 or 90. Uh, and some clown at the end of the line decides to pass all seven cars. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, but, you know, they just figured to hell with the law, to hell with everything else. I want to get there faster, and, and these people are all in my way. Exactly. And again, it's because, you know, uh, where are they going to you know, go? As we all know, we all have those stories where someone is driven like that, and then you pull up beside them at the next stoplight. And they've put everybody at danger because for some reason that they think they're in a hurry. And as we know, um, you know, every time there's a snowstorm, I, I'm on the radio talking about the amount of collisions we had over the snowfall. You know it's going to be bad, but people still drive like it's August 5th and the, and the roads are dry and they're doing, you know, 75, 80 kilometers an hour, you know, instead of doing... You know, it's a 50 zone as it is. Instead of doing at least 50 or a little bit less, you know, they're still speeding because, you know, oh, my car's okay. I have, a, I have an SUV. I have this. I have that. No, road conditions change very quickly. You know, uh, all road users are out there. Pedestrians still think they have the right of way, so they'll step out on the roadway, and now you can't stop, and, and that's why we have the issues we do. Now, I know that you track this sort of stuff, and there's a statistical analysis of this about, you know, age groups, what demographic it is, whether, you know, more males than females, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My experience is it's everyone. Uh, you know, all age demographics, I've seen all of them do that, men and women alike, in situations like that. But, you know, I'm trying to connect the dots here. And we've been talking uh, on other programs here about, uh, I think, a, a real scourge that's starting to make a huge impact on this, and that's the number of weapons and guns that are out on the street right now. And I know that the police have talked about this, and it's something that we're going to get into a little bit later on on the show today as well. But the whole thing, though, Klaus, is I can understand if somebody does something on the road that angers you, you feel as if your immediate thing is to want to yell at them or give them a finger or something like that, but you don't know who you're dealing with, and you don't know you know, how unhinged they may become. You're putting yourself in a pretty precarious position if you decide that you want to get in their face. Yep, and um, like I always say, you know, we're good. Most people are good people, and even though you think you might be able to do this, you know, you you don't have their mentality. So if they bring, you know, if they bring something out to fight, you may not be ready to to go to there. But it might be too late at that point. Uh, and again, I hate to say it, it was over, a, you know, a driving issue. It was somebody cut in line at the grocery store in front of me. I mean, uh, you know, our, you know, I'm going to say this: our, our our neighbors to the south. I mean, you see these things on the news all the time over a parking space, and and we're starting to see that up here a little bit. Is that because we, you know, we get these, you know, because of social media now, we can see all these types of things and people think this is the way I'm supposed to react sometimes you have to take a deep breath and and as I always say I mean if you're going to go shopping on a Saturday morning you better expect lineups at the, the cashiers <laughs> you know what I mean it's going to happen and and somebody you know with 25 items is going to be in the one to eight items line at the grocery store too but I mean yeah. you know, so what big deal you know you're going to be an extra 30 seconds I mean you know deal with it uh, the concern here obviously is public safety and, and everybody's exactly. public safety in situations like this uh, and invariably, when we have a conversation like this, Klaus, I'll get emails and, and tweets from people saying, well, you know, if there were more hev heavier fines and more fines and, you know, zero tolerance, you know, charge them 500 bucks for this. Uh, you, uh, From what you've told us in the past, uh, that doesn't necessarily act as a deterrent, does it? Nope. Look, I mean, as we know, uh, you know, the uh, cell phone distracted driving law, uh, the fines went up uh, last year to um, up to $1,000 the first time, 2000 3000 uh, for subsequent events, and license suspensions upon being found guilty for these charges. Um, 
we still see people all the time. We still give out tickets. You know, we gave over almost 400 tickets last year for cell phones. People are still doing it. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, people just always have an excuse. They make it an excuse in their head that this is okay. And then, you know, and then we get the other side. That's the why it's so hard to be a police officer. You know, you set the fines up and you get the other side of the group who's saying, ah, it's just a money grab. Is you know, you know, the red light cameras, it's just a money grab. You know, if we do decide, you know, if we do um, go ahead with uh, uh, speed cameras again uh, on different roadways they're going to say it's just a money grab well again but there's a whole other side that wants like you just said you know what else what else is going to deter people to slow down to stay off your cell phones to you know uh, wear your seat belts to to do this and to do that um, unfortunately that's a part of it is is to you know to be charged and to understand but as we talk about drinking and driving you make the decision you get into your car before you turn that you know you've decided already well guess what um, I sat there and watched the last five minutes of the game, and now I'm 10 minutes behind, so I'm going to race like, in, like a maniac to get to where I'm supposed to go because I didn't want to leave 10 minutes early. Well, as a former chief of police, uh, Glenn DeCare used to say, 100%. Com- compliance is free. Um, exactly. <laughs> if you choose, you know the rules. I mean, you know, if you're on the road, you know the rules. Whether or not you agree with them, whether or not you want to obey them is, is another issue. But you know what they are, and if you decide to ignore them, uh, <laughs> then th- there may well be a consequence. I mean, that's all there is to it. Uh, and that that's got to be part of the the, the 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 discussion here too. That it doesn't necessarily deter people from doing this because first of all, like lo- most of the other people that break the law, whatever the law might be, uh, they never think they're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that you know the idea whether it's oh it's a thousand dollar fine plus you've told us numerous stories over the last number of years uh, about people that you've stopped that are driving with a suspended license. I mean you know that that's supposed to be a deterrent. We're taking your license away for three months or four months or whatever it is. A lot of them still get behind the wheel. Yeah, and and you know most people would always say to me. You think somebody that would be suspended would drive better? No, there's a reason they're suspended. That's the way they drive. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's just the way they drive. They don't think they're driving poorly, and then they get suspended. and They think, well, it's, you know, okay, I'll just go because I just got to go to the store. But they, they go to the store and they still run that red light or you know don't stop at that stop sign, and then they get stopped again. Uh, you know, I call them self-identifiers. They just continuously to self-identify themselves as uh, as bad drivers. Are, are there parts of the town that are worse than others for this sort of activity? Um, any more often than not, it's on the high, like you know on you know on the bigger roads where you know the speed limit's eighty because that's where people want to do a hundred, hundred and ten, and then a lot of times it's the big, a lot of the complaints we get are with inside right inside a neighborhood where someone is not stopping at stop signs they live in the neighborhood and uh you know i get these plate numbers and um it's you know somebody that lives you know just down the street or something like that um and uh what i do is i you know like i said I, we send the registered owner a letter saying that this is favorite and then i always write in a, a extra part of it i say you live in this neighborhood this is you know these are your children or someone else's children that you're putting at danger by doing this and then when i do talk to the person that's putting the complaint and you know and as you know i'm very blunt i say to them look these are your neighbors and that and they always a lot of people always say back to me well it doesn't make me any feel any better that when my child gets you know gets killed and i say i'm not trying to say i'm just saying these are your neighbors you know so you know make sure when you drive in other people's neighborhoods you're not doing this because as you say once we live our own little environment you know who knows what our driving is going to be like I know it sounds rather trite and kind of a cliche to simply say, look, just take a deep breath and and just let it pass, let the moment pass. And it can be difficult sometimes, obviously, depending on what somebody does and uh, and the impact that you're having and the mood that you're in at the time. I get that. 
But boy, I you know, getting into confrontation stuff is 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 crazy. I mean, I know I, I and there's extraneous factors here too. You know, and I've talked about uh, social media, and we've also talked about the impact that, that other media have movies and of of this ilk and everything. I mean, everybody drives you know 350 kilometers an hour in all these movies, and they they seem to get away with it. Why can't I? But but you've got to be practical about this too, and understand that you're putting people at risk if you're going to drive like this. Yeah, and and we and like I say too. We have to be better drivers ourselves. There, there isn't anybody that I cannot take out driving, uh, even when it's when I have to take officers out. That within half an hour, I haven't taught them at least one thing, if not more, because, um, like I said, my my scope is not just being a driving instructor. I also know the Highway Traffic Act in and out and why the roads are designed they are. So I teach things where people say, "Well, I didn't know I could do that," or I, you know, or I don't do that, and that's what causes confusion and makes us you know puts other people in jeopardy and 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 stuff like that and that's like i always say all road users you know the pedestrian the cyclist and the car driver they all need to know the rules you know yes you you might have the walk symbol to cross the street but you still have to check is there a car coming you know um, you're stepping out onto the roadway a cyclist needs to understand that bike lanes are, are bike lanes for a reason but that doesn't give you the right to go through red lights because you're just a cyclist and car drivers need to understand you know um remember what it's like to be a pedestrian. So when that pedestrian is coming up to a street corner and I'm going to turn right, well, I better slow down because be, they might be walking straight instead of stopping. We need to look at everything while we're on the road. Well, the more we have these conversations, hopefully it's going to resonate with more and more people. Klaus, as always, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you. Can I just say you. one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Go, sure, Bill? Sure. As you know, I'm retiring in two months. Yes. I just want to introduce you to my replacement officer, Stan Larkin, just very quickly. Hello, Bill. Officer, how are you today? I'm doing well. Name is Stan. Stan, great to have you with us. Uh, you're going to be the guy going forward here. Uh, big shoes to fill. Klaus has done such an outstanding job. And uh, obviously this is this is an ongoing concern and an ongoing problem for an awful lot of people. So uh, I, I look forward to our conversations in the, in the future, Stan. Oh, I look forward to it. Like you said, there is big shoes to fill. And uh, I hope the standard is going to be met. But if not, I'll just keep my nose above water. <laughs> okay. We'll talk soon, Stan. Thanks so much. And thank you, Klaus. All the best. And uh, he just wants me to mention just one thing there about uh, he expresses the harmony between all drivers. That includes pedestrians, cyclists, and cars on the road. Yeah, we're all users, aren't we? Are we? We're all there for a reason. Okay. Thanks again, guys. Take, we appreciate the take, time. Po- safety on the roads, guys. That's what it's all about. And that's the message going forward, uh, especially with inclement weather uh, this time of year. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some months ago, we uh, brought Ian Hamilton from the Hamilton Port Authority on uh, to talk about uh, a merger that was going on. It's been six months now since the Hamilton and Oshawa Port Authorities have merged. And uh, we mentioned at the time that we were going to have uh, Ian back on for an update to see just how things are going because we're, there was great expectation about the impact this could have had on both economies, as a matter of fact. So uh, to that end, we are pleased to welcome back to the program Ian Hamilton, who is the uh, CEO now of the uh, Hamilton-Oshawa Port Authority. Uh, Ian, thank you for the time. Great to have you with us again today. Uh, always a pleasure to join you, Bill. Ian, let's do the report card here. As you say, we were here in studio. You talked about this merger as it was going on. And, and maybe before we get into some of the numbers and what's happened in the last six months, uh, maybe for those that missed that conversation, a, a, a bit of an explanation as to why a deal and how a deal like this comes about. Yeah, so it's, um, as you're right, it, it happened on uh, June the 18th, where the Hamilton uh, Port Authority amalgamated with the Oshawa Port Authority to create the uh, Hamilton-Oshawa Port Authority, which we now call uh, call HOPA. And it's a 
it's a mandate from the uh, from Transport Canada at the federal at the federal level to proceed. Their vision was to create a sustainable port system for Southern Ontario, and by tying the assets together, it just makes it uh, makes it easier to make investment decisions. It makes it easier for us to um, us to pitch the uh, an integrated transportation system for Southern Ontario. So, as you said, we we as I said, we amalgamated on June the 18th. It's been uh, it's gone phenomenally well, and um, both uh, both organizations have. Uh, Merged together, we're um, we've already seen some very positive steps in terms of investments. Opened up a, a uh, grain elevator in Oshawa in the uh, in the autumn. Took out its first um, first load of uh, load of grain in uh, in November. And um, the city and uh, the port's uh, relationship has probably never been never been stronger than it is now. In are, are there economies of scale? That sort of thing, and purchasing power, that sort of thing, in. Um, certainly, in, in there's 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 that event, and I think it uh, Hamilton um, the Hamilton Port Authority had a very very strong team here in terms of um, whether it be environmental management, um, commercial development, or um, or engineering, and uh, and our ability to project manage constructions construction projects. So that's one piece that we can carry over into Oshawa, which allows us to leverage all of that talent. And the other piece is that. As the um, when you're talking about Southern Ontario and a port system, it makes it a lot easier to put compelling arguments forward to um, to the federal government or the provincial government, for that matter, for um, for funding to um, to support further development projects. When we talk about port authorities, uh, and for those that, that don't have a full understanding of this, they may simply in their mind conjure up this picture of, of the boats and the piers, et cetera, and that's certainly part of this. Uh, but you're your own business enterprise. I mean, especially here in Hamilton, the Port Authority uh, has an awful lot of land down there, attracts an awful lot of business, and is really one of the economic drivers in this community. Yeah, you're right. Talking specifically about about Hamilton, um, we have uh, over 650 acres of, of property, making us uh, one of the largest landlords in the uh, in the city. Um, 130 individual uh, individual tenants, and as you suggested, we are um, a self-sustained entity with our independent board of directors. So we are um, we are for profit. The uh, the exciting thing is that every um, every dollar we make, we're able to reinvest into our into our assets. And so we get uh, the community gets a real uh, a real return on the success of the uh, of the port authority. Uh, and as you mentioned, this is not uh, tied to the municipality. This is under the federal jurisdiction. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. We do have a we work very hard at um, having one of the uh, the best port uh, municipal relationships in the uh, in the country. Um, us and our tenants pay over uh, six million dollars in taxes to the uh, to the city. So we're um, we're very uh, we're connected at the hip, but um, jurisdiction wise, yes, we're a federal entity. Uh, and you'd love to grow. I mean, I know, I know that there's some limitations here because of available space and land things of this nature. But with the success that you've seen in Hamilton, uh, can you parlay that to, and, and replicate that in Oshawa as well? Uh, we hope so. Um, the we certainly uh, Oshawa's landmass is just um, quite a bit smaller than in Hamilton, sure. so we'll probably never reach that size. But we think there's a lot of potential there to take advantage of um, of taking trucks off the road um, and getting more onto a uh, a greener transportation solution, which is which is marine. And also on the back of the challenges that um, that Oshawa has been faced with um, with a General Motors closure, we believe that um, we can be a real component in their um, Real economic driver in their um, in their future. So uh, again, as I said, the mayor spoke very, very uh, well yesterday and talked about the uh, the optimism around the 
the impact the port's going to have in Oshawa, and um, and we're delighted to see that partnership. Now, some people may actually look at this and say, well, shipping, that's, that's passe, that's 19th century stuff. Uh, but in today's economy, uh, you know, water, and, and as you call it, the H2O highway, uh, is, is taking a major role now in, in transportation and the movement of goods. Yeah, and in some ways you're right. Shipping is um, is viewed as sort of an old old type of industry, and one of the challenges we do have as an industry is attracting young people. Uh, there's great jobs out there for anyone who wants to uh, wants to work on board a ship, and um, you um, you make much uh, much higher than the uh, than the average from the province. And um, there's lots of uh, shipping companies that would pay for your education. But going back to the importance of shipping. Uh, 90 percent uh, of everything that we touch has moved, and uh, consumer products has moved by a ship. Um, so, even though it's uh, sort of this hidden, uh, old-fashioned type of thing, it um, it is um, it's hugely important. And everything that we, all of our consumer goods, all of the products that go into production of steel, the sugar that comes in, uh, that goes in to be used in our uh, in our ice cream, everything is uh, has been moved by ship at some stage. And it's it's intermodal transportation and multimodal transportation, which I guess is one of the reasons for the success that you guys have had in the Hamilton Port Authority over the last little while. Uh, because as as I was was educated about this, as as we we delved into this, uh, any any one of those big containers that's moving goods back and forth usually uh, uses many components. It might be rail, it might be water, it might be truck, it might be all three of them, all four of them, including air, I guess, at one point or another, uh, to get goods to market. Yeah, and that's that's beauty of uh, Hamilton and uh, and Oshawa, but yeah. in particular Hamilton, we have two class one railways here, CNNCP directly calling uh, calling the port. We've seen the railway volumes grow over the last decade by uh, by three hundred percent, and having that modal choice, a good uh, good highway. Um, Highway network connected to the port. Working closely with the city on the um, the ship r- or the uh, trucking routes through the downtown core to ensure that we um, we minimize the impact on uh, on society and um, and environment. But um, having all of those components between road, rail, and um, and marine makes Hamilton a wonderful multimodal location. And uh, and your amalgamated partner here, the uh, the city of Oshawa. I mean, they they have the those bones too, don't they? The infrastructure, uh, obviously, a bit right beside the four hundred one and, and a very intricate. Uh, rail system that's in place right there uh, that can assist them in the movement of goods. Yeah, and they've just, um, I think there's some real opportunity to grow the rail, but CN does uh, does come right into the port now. Um, and you're right, just um, there's, a, there's a highway connection directly to the 401, just uh, just down Farewell Street, and uh, so there is, um, there's great connectivity there too. Ian, let's, let's talk about goods movement on the water, and, and uh, I want to tie this into a problem that's been an ongoing problem at, at, at border crossings. Uh, uh, obviously, at, at Fort Erie, that's one of them. Uh, the other one, of course, in Detroit, they just put another bridge in there, but at the same time, uh, any given day that you go by any one of those places, you're always going to see trucks lined up at the border trying to get across. It's time-consuming. It's frustrating for, for businesses. Uh, and, and my understanding is that more and more companies are looking at uh, short-sea shipping as, a, as an alternative uh, to move those goods back and forth, not just here between Oshawa and Hamilton, but, but uh, to U.S. ports as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, there's a number of items that have all lined up to improve the, um, the business case for short-sea short sea shipping. Um, certainly the, uh, the price of fuel, um, the congestion on our highways, an increased um, focus on, um, on environmental and uh, climate change, as well as the, um, the new regulations that come around um, driver logbooks and uh, the number of hours that truck drivers can operate and that driving up the cost. So all of those things, I think, move to a, um, a better focus on, on short-sea shipping. The province 
has has always been silent on um, on marine, and it's one of the uh, few provinces with such a dependency on marine that doesn't have a marine policy. So we're working very closely with the provincial government to try to get them to um, to at least include marine in their multimodal strategy. Well, and that's frustrating. I got to tell you. I, uh... I, I haven't been on council for many, many years now, but I still remember a number of trips I took down to Queen's Park to to try to lobby and convince that government of the day uh, that this is worthwhile and it's worth their investment. And uh, the fact that there's not a lot of action or not any action on it after all these years has is, is got to be frustrating for you guys. Yeah, we're, we, we are optimistic that the, the climate and <clears throat> the current government's uh, mandate to be open for business would be supportive of looking at marine, but you're exactly right. The uh, the Department of Highways changed their name two decades ago, but never really changed their focus. Well, you know, it, it's 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 got to be part of the solution here, and and you know, it's staring them right in the face to to look at this because this is what other jurisdictions have been doing and are doing very successfully, and it's as you say, the infrastructure is right there. I mean, this is just a matter of tapping into it and saying, okay, we want to partner with you on this. It's not as if they're going to have to, to build waterways. I mean, that stuff's already there. The rail's already there. The the, the, the roads are already there, and the roads are already congested. Uh, and I know there are a number of proponents that have said, look, at instead of uh, the, the rather aggressive road construction that they're talking about doing between here and, and the U.S. border, uh, to consider short sea shipping as, as, as not not as an alternative, but as, as a tool like all the other ones. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the old, you know, the answer, but it's part of the answer. Yep, you're exactly right. And I think we've been starting to use a term called, uh, we're using it modal balance, just to say, you know, you've got some, um, you've got some tools in your tool chest. Let's use everyone to their full advantage. Let's use marine, let's use rail, let's use uh, road, let's use air, all of them that we, um, so that we're moving the goods the, the best, the best way for the environment, the best way to keep costs down, um, and the best way to uh, have the minimum impact on society. It's only been six months now, but you've got some numbers and some data here that indicate that this merger is actually working pretty well for both sides. Yeah, we um, it was a uh, Oshawa grew last year, uh, which was fantastic, and the opening of the grain elevator, which was which was great. Hamilton um, Hamilton was um, certainly in line, and a little bit of growth over the five year average. We had an exceptional year in 2018, so we've the volumes have dropped slightly from that. We blame uh, we blame Mother Nature uh, for a lot of that because of the uh, the weather and the lower harvest in. Um, for Ontario farmers, but no, I think it's um, we're very optimistic, and we've seen some real um, real momentum already. What do you see for for twenty twenty now? Is it, with the economy starting to pick up a little bit? I should say the agri food business is is a little bit of a question these days, simply because uh, of extraneous uh, things that we can't do a whole lot about there now. But we see it picking up in other areas, and we see an awful lot of activity and a lot of interest with you people uh, with attracting new business down by the waterfront. Yeah, and we've. We've put in between ourselves and our tenants um, over $400 million in investment in uh, new uh, new infrastructure and new terminals here in um, here in Hamilton, and we have a similar plan for uh, for Oshawa. And I think we're well positioned to take advantage of the um, of the growth in the economy and the and the momentum momentum forward. So we're we're very optimistic. It's a growth industry, really, isn't it? For somebody who again who may have this picture of you know these old canals, you know from Dundas, you know the, the stuff would come from the Ancaster Mill down to Dundas and then out to the harbor and bingo. Uh, it's it's a little more complex than it was back in those days when this uh, this community was growing, but it's uh, just as it was a huge part of the economy then. Uh, it remains a huge part of this Hamilton economy. Yeah, and, and you're right. It's a it's a bit counterintuitive to think of um, shipping one of the oldest forms of transportation to being um, to being an innovative solution to problems. But if you look at uh, Europe, where um, there's a much more developed uh, marine industry, 
and the movement of goods on uh, on a short sea shipping shipping basis, and that was driven fundamentally by the right legislation and um, and congestion and uh, fuel costs, which are close to double what they are here in North America. And I think we're um, we're hot on their heels to uh, to start to take advantage of uh, the marine solution to solve some of our problems. Uh, we're still into January here right now. When does the shipping season actually get underway full bore for for you guys? Um, we're we're hoping it starts in uh, in March. Um, we're watching the water levels closely to ensure that um, that we can that we can actually open the canal, and uh, that's very very important to us. But you bring up an exciting point in that um, the Welling Canal stayed open until January the eighth, so our season in some ways have already started, and that's the first time they've done that. We brought six additional vessels into into Hamilton as a result of that uh, that opening, and that's fantastic. And we want to really applaud the St. Lawrence Seaway and their efforts to uh, to keep the canal open a little bit longer, and um, the longer we can keep the uh, the system open, then the uh, the more viable it becomes to um, to grow our market. Well, it's fascinating to see uh, this industry uh, flourish in, in these times. And uh, you mentioned about the you know the the canals and the locks and this whole system. It's all it's all integrated. It's all part of the same system. Uh, but if you're going down there to see these, or you want to come down to the Hamilton uh, waterfront and the harbor down there, uh, that's commerce, and it's a it's a big big part of what's going on. That's oh, it's such. I wanted to get you back on here because this is such a great story uh, to see that both cities, both Oshawa and Hamilton, are flourishing because of this uh, this partnership that's going on, and uh, things are looking up for the future, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. And you've, you've touched on a really good point, and I think we need to get rid of our silos about what kind of mode of transportation you're using and truly look at a, um, a multimodal uh, system that, um, that uses all the, all the different modes and takes advantage of all the assets we have. Absolutely. Ian, let's stay in touch. Thanks so much again for the time today. My pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Ian Hamilton, Thanks. of course, the CEO for the uh, newly minted, well, it's six months old now, uh, Hamilton-Oshawa Port Authority, and some pretty good numbers there. And I, I was not aware of the fact that the uh, the canal was still open right up until just a couple of weeks ago, uh, which means commerce, which means jobs, and which means goods movement, which is always a good thing. And uh, maybe a little bit of time off now because it is getting a little colder. But uh, it is a big part of the economy, and uh, it, it is. And we've tried to do this, just as Ian mentioned, uh, what they call multimodal transportation. And it's already here for us. Uh, and the whole thing here is is to get those goods to market as quickly as possible. By the way, one of the largest markets in North America is is right here and, of course, on the other side of the border down through the northeastern United States, which is why there was some concern and some consideration about a mid-pen highway to get goods from Hamilton Airport to the border. But uh, short sea shipping uh, to get those goods across the border is also part of the plan. It should be anyway. The feds are on side with this. The municipality is encouraging it. Uh, the provincial government, and not just this one, I mean previous provincial governments, just don't seem to have that vision. And I'm, I just don't get that because we're talking about another way to increase the economy, to make money for everybody. Maybe, maybe at some point in the future, I hope, uh, the, the light will like come up on them and they'll understand just how important this is going to be. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.